Welcome to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from the Rural Health Information Hub. My name is Andrew Nelson. In this podcast, we'll be talking with a variety of experts about providing rural health care, problems they've encountered, and ways in which those problems can be solved. This is part two of a multi-part series about maternal health in rural America. Today we're speaking to Dr. Anna Banfield. She's a physician administrative and clinical director at Women's Health at Leonardtown in Maryland, as well as a member of the foundation board of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or ACOG, and a past young physician at large on the ACOG board. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. Certainly. First of all, how have you found that rural practice is different for an OBGYN compared to practicing in a more urban environment? So in more rural parts of the United States, um, in general, we have fewer resources um, at those rural locations. When we're practicing OBGYN in a metropolitan area, there are a lot of subspecialists in obstetrics and gynecology practicing there. Things like maternal fetal medicine, or high-risk OB doctors, um, urogynecologists, OBGYNs who specialize in the pelvic floor, um, GYN oncologists, so OBGYNs who specialize in female pelvic cancers, um, MIGs, which is minimally invasive, gynecologic surgeons, um, so they specialize in surgery with um, the least invasive techniques possible, um, pediatric and adolescent gynecologists specializing in that particular area, age group um, of OBGYN, um, and so, and reproductive endocrinologists, which are um, OBGYNs who specialize in fertility and um, disorders related to the endocrine system. And when you're in a small rural community, none of those subspecialists um, are readily available there um, and, you know, just down the hall like they are in some of those larger areas. Um, small rural communities also don't necessarily have the other um, specialties in physician areas. So um, an example would be interventional radiology, um, which can do some techniques to help with a lot of gynecologic problems um, and ameliorate symptoms. Um, And those are people that usually they have to go to larger care centers for um, a lot of the specialties uh, as far as surgery goes. Um, So if we have patients who need other surgical specialties, um, those a lot of times are not available at smaller rural hospitals. Uh, And then some of the technology. So the robots, some of the newer laparoscopic equipment, um, things like that are not always available at smaller rural facilities. Yeah. Have you found that there are uh, particular competencies or traits that make a provider more suited for or ready to practice obstetric care in a rural area? Since since rural areas often don't have the luxury of having uh, the specialists, the kind of specialists you were just mentioning. I think that um, OBGYNs who are trained in uh, programs that have a very high surgical volume, um, in a lot of cases in particular, uh, more of the open surgeries or vaginal surgeries still happening, 
they tend to be a little bit more ready to go out and practice in these rural areas um, because they have the the skills to take care of some of those things closer to home um, that it's harder to have when you come out of four years of residency and don't have as much surgical experience. Um, so I think that makes a huge difference. Um, and seeing what it's like to practice in those rural areas can also be very helpful. Um, if you've never experienced what you need to do in a small rural community hospital, when you have a situation that is out of your scope of practice, then sometimes it's hard to know, is this the patient I should transfer? Should I be transferring this patient now? When should I be doing this? Because you're talking about taking someone out of their community and moving them to another location for care. And that can be very stressful for your patient, family, them having, you know, um, access to their support system, um, them being comfortable with where they're getting care. And so it's a big decision to make, but it needs to be made at the right time so that the patient gets the care that they need. Yeah. Workforce is one of the biggest challenges regarding the provision of OB services in rural areas. Uh, what challenges do rural facilities and communities face when they're trying to recruit OBGYNs? It's very difficult to recruit OBGYNs to small rural communities. Um, there are a couple of different reasons. Some of them are um, unfamiliarity. If you've never practiced or lived in a rural area, then it's uh, unlikely you're going to suddenly decide to move to a rural area without significant um, reason to do so. It can also be challenging from a lifestyle perspective. Um, you know, most residencies are in urban areas. So family members, spouses, children, they get used to being in that urban area and having access to the um, resources that are available in those urban areas, whether that be school districts and school curriculums, um, access to the arts and entertainment, access to uh, transportation readily, uh, you know, a nearby international airport. Many of those things make a huge difference um, for someone's lifestyle. And so if your family and your support network are used to living in that particular environment, it can be very challenging to make a decision to move them as well. Um, and then I also think that it is difficult um, sometimes to go to those small communities um, where maybe you have never been in a rural community and it's a little hard to adapt. Um, you know, people are different regionally as well. And when you move to a new area, it's always a challenge. And if it's a small community that's kind of closed, it can be difficult to find your footing, um, to start to fit into that community, to find those people who are going to be your people in that community. Um, so I think it's a variety of things. I also think sometimes it's challenging when you've trained at a place that has all those um all the access to the resources that we talked about previously, or if you've trained in a location where you're used to being able to do robotic surgery and you're transitioning to a location where maybe none of those things are available, that can be very daunting. Yeah. Um, in terms of attracting providers to rural communities, uh, what do you think we can do to make moving to a rural community away from those urban conveniences more appealing and, and what can individual facilities do to improve their success when it comes to recruiting? So I think, um, you know, one of the things that has sort of been a mainstay has been uh, loan repayment and financial incentives. And I think that's incredibly important. Um, now more than ever, 
physicians are coming out of medical school and residency with large amounts of debt. So having the ability to help your providers pay back that debt um, and getting your physicians on their feet very quickly financially can be a huge asset. But you also have to keep in mind all the other factors that we talked about. So having a system in place within your community and your hospital system to welcome their families into the community and help to start to integrate them if they have family members coming with them to the community so that it's an easier transition and you don't have family members who are struggling to make those connections. Um, while in a lot of cases, the physician is very focused on work and immediately has a set of peers and immediately has a social group um, but helping to work with that. I also think communities really need to be forward thinking when it comes to their school districts, um, the educational opportunities available. You know, physicians obviously are highly educated folks. They want their children to have opportunity. And if they are being, a, and if rural communities want to attract them, being able to offer good educational opportunities to their children is incredibly important. And that is a hard nut to crack when you talk about many of the things that rural communities face in addition to lack of access to healthcare. A lot of times they have underfunded education and you know other resource issues um, that can make some of those things challenging. But I think those are other things that are a little harder um, to think about as far as, oh, is this important for my physician? Yes, those are incredibly important things. We know physicians are considering those things when they're thinking about where they're going to relocate to. Sure. Workforce, of course, it's it's hugely important to be able to get those, get those provider to rural communities. Uh, are there any other systemic issues that come to mind that limit access to high quality maternal care? in rural environments? One of the biggest factors and things that we have faced is the closure of birthing units um, at hospitals across the country. Many rural hospitals, because of the way our payment system is set up for obstetrics, it is not really a high volume moneymaker. Um, and we don't really prioritize maternal and infant health like we say we do. So we say lots of things about prioritizing it, but we don't really put our money where our mouths are in this case. And so it is a challenge for many rural hospitals to financially continue to support their birthing facilities. Because of that, those end up closing and the areas that are unserved completely in many cases get larger and larger as scattered small hospitals you know, end up closing their units and it happens more and more. Um, when I was practicing in West Virginia, the hospital that I was at, when you would go south from our facility, the next closest delivering hospital was two and a half to three hours away, kind of depending on the weather, um, because we had had closures in the middle of the state of our birthing facilities. Um, where I am now in Maryland, um, I'm on the southeastern shore, and it is also very isolated. We have one hospital in our county that does deliveries. And so leaving from our hospital, it takes about 30 to 40 minutes to get to the next closest hospital if you go uh, northeast. And it takes about 
40, maybe a little longer to get to the next closest hospital if you're going northwest. Um, and most recently, I actually heard that one of those hospitals is no longer doing deliveries. So even in places on the East Coast, we are starting to see these maternity deserts in the areas that are less populated, um, making it more challenging for patients who have limited access to resources to get to those delivering facilities. Do you have any thoughts for strategies or policies that might help to resolve that problem? I think it all comes down to finances in the end, um, as far as getting birthing centers open again in some of these smaller rural areas. You know, if obstetrics and gynecology, secondarily, were as prioritized cost-wise and reimbursed as well as orthopedic surgery or urologic surgery or some of these other surgical specialties that we say are also important, then we would definitely see hospitals better able to have the resources to keep these units open, to keep good providers on their staff, to keep the staff that is necessary to support those units in place. Do you think there are any ways that OBGYNs can support rural family physicians and other primary care providers when it comes to providing maternal health services? I think that having a network set up within systems or within um, state organizations like perinatal groups can help to support um, other providers who are providing uh, maternal care um, outside of some of the you know, OBGYN departments um, by having joint grand rounds, by making sure that there's open communication about when patients should be being referred to higher levels of care, to making sure there's a seamless process for when that happens, to make sure that there's two-way communication between the OBGYNs and the family practice docs or the nurse midwives or the family nurse practitioners, um, and making sure that all of those groups are able to communicate within their um, systems and their networks makes a huge difference in the ability of the system itself um, to provide good quality care. Healthcare, of course, it's always going to be a team effort. Can you just give us a little bit of a rundown, starting with OBGYNs, of the different members of, of a maternal health team that you would have ideally in order to provide the, the best possible care and, and the roles they play? Certainly. So ideally, you would have in any um, facility that provides births, unless it would be a freestanding birth center that should still have a relationship with some of these other folks I'm going to talk about. You ideally want to have um, providers who can do vaginal deliveries and also providers who can do C-sections if they're necessary. So that means you really need to have at least an OBGYN or a family practice provider who has completed the um, additional training necessary for them to be able to do um, C-sections, as well as whatever co other complement of delivering providers, whether that's OBGYNs, family practice doctors, or uh, certified nurse midwives available to provide deliveries. You also, though, need high-quality labor and delivery nurses who help to provide care to that mother and that baby while they are in labor 
and during the postpartum period. Many people don't realize how specialized OBGYN nurses are um, when it comes to the care that they are providing. You know, these are women and men who have go from having one patient with another patient inside of them to two patients. Um, and this is the only situation where your patients are literally multiplying. Um, and people a lot of times don't recognize that we are dealing with two patients um, and our nurses are. So highly qualified labor and delivery nurses is incredibly important. It's also really important to have good obstetric ultrasound available so that we can detect and determine um, if there are issues or concerns related to the well-being of the mother or the baby. It's important to have um, things like respiratory therapy available so that if we do have an emergency, we can immediately provide life-sustaining support to those um, patients. It's important to have the support of the more extended um, medicine uh, service at the hospital so that moms who are especially high risk, if they aren't being transferred, can have that extra medical uh, team support. Um, it's important to have um, Good OR staffing, because if you're doing a C-section, um, having readily available, well-trained operating room staff, nurses and recovery room nurses is incredibly important. Tax to assist in the operating room. It really is an entire network of folks who are providing care to these women. Many people want to take advantage of the anesthesia options that are available as far as epidural anesthesia and being able to have spinal anesthesia for when uh, a patient has a scheduled C-section in particular um, and having an quality anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists to provide those services is very important. Um, so really in these small rural hospitals, having everything that is ideal um, for really providing good quality maternal care is very challenging. What are some ways in which healthcare facilities and providers can provide more comprehensive support to mothers after pregnancy? So I think um, having available really before and after pregnancy additional support services within um, the setting that prenatal care is being delivered in is ideal. Having a social, licensed social worker who can help to connect patients to things that they need both before and after delivery is incredibly important. Being able to access mental health services, being able to access substance use disorder um, services, and having those available not only in the postpartum period, but also in that perinatal period and the antepartum period so that women can get locked into those services early. They can have those services delivered in a location that they are able to access readily. Um, and then have them in place as they move forward through the process so that by the time you get to the postpartum period, they have things that they need. They have good supports in place. They know what services are available. So it makes it a little easier. I think it's also really important that we continue to provide high quality postpartum care and really consider that postpartum period as its own special trimester as the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommend and continue to see those patients at least twice during that period as long as there are not reasons that the patient can't participate. Um, I also think it's incredibly important that we continue to work towards having 12 months of postpartum Medicaid um, and Medicare available for these patients across the United States, given how much we know women tend to fall through the cracks during that first 12 months after having had a baby, and many of them run into more difficulties um, in that six weeks to 12 months window when they aren't getting care regularly anymore. 
In your time working in, in the realm of maternal health care, are there any disparities you've seen? Of course. <laughs> I think every place in healthcare we see disparities. I think some places obviously are worse and some places are better. Um, but we know in addition to the rural disparities we see, just like complete lack of access in many counties across the United States to any type of uh, maternal care, we also see those same kinds of disparities in our urban areas. You know, many people in urban um, areas also have difficulty with transportation and getting to services. And if you have to take multiple modes of public transit that is in maybe cities where it's not as reliable to get to your care, that also creates disparities in those urban populations. Um, we know that those disparities exist. They exist for both black and brown women. They also exist across socioeconomic um, ranges. And they also exist across um, zip code. <laughs> you know, if you live in the right place, you can get the right care. If you don't live in the right place, you can't get the right care. And many of those disparities overlap each other um, because of the way the United States sort of has evolved over time. Um, but definitely have seen a lot of disparities. So in practical terms, if if somebody who is in labor shows up at a hospital that doesn't provide delivery or doesn't have any on anybody on staff that provides delivery services do they just or are they just going to get into an ambulance at that point and go to someplace that does or what what happens in those situations in those situations emergency room physicians get to do deliveries kind of like you hear about EMT is doing deliveries on the way to the hospital because, you know, somebody waited too long to call or their labor progressed that quickly. Um, of course, that's really not ideal because then these are places that pa patients may be delivering that don't have postpartum services available. You know, there may be no one on staff who can do newborn nursery care for that baby. There may be no one on staff who can do postpartum care for that mother. Um, in, so in reality, what tends to happen is if they are not stable for transfer immediately to a facility that has birthing um, facilities, then they deliver. And then the consequences of that have to be dealt with, whether that's transferring potentially mom and baby postpartum, whether that's dealing with some non-ideal outcome because it you know, something emergent was happening um, and there weren't um, there weren't the resources available that were at that facility where they ended up delivering to provide the care that they needed. Um, but that's basically what happens. It's not always ideal. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, sometimes when someone comes in and is laboring very quickly, that's a pretty easy delivery. Right. And we know that Women can have babies really with nothing else happening. They can just have a baby if everything goes well and if all is all things being equal. It's the things that are higher risk. It's the things that we aren't expecting that we really are preparing for all the time in obstetrics and gynecology. It's all those things that we hope never happen that we're always getting ready for and being prepared for so that when they do happen, we don't have a bad outcome. Yeah. It, it must just be so, so nerve wracking for some of those, those pregnant people in, in areas that are that far removed from, 
from somebody who's actually specialized in providing that kind of care. I can't even imagine. There are some places too now, and there are, depending on um, someone's diagnosis, there are circumstances where um, a patient will go and will stay um, in a special facility, you know, whether that's a Ronald McDonald type house or some other um, living situation that is available um, to them through their healthcare um, system or because of the type of care that they need. But obviously that's not ideal, right? You don't want to have to go and live away from your home for an extended period of time so you can have access to care that you need. But yeah, many systems now do have those kinds of services if they need to, um, to bring patients closer to them until such a time as they can either deliver safely in their home community or have a scheduled delivery potentially at a tertiary care center because of the level of risk that their pregnancy carries. So certainly there are some shortcomings that we have to deal with when it comes to providing rural maternal care. Um, are there any things in particular that keep you up at night when you think about maternal care and rural birth outcomes? Um, I think the fact that we continue to see closures of units um, is incredibly daunting. Um, you know, right now we have not seen a reversal of that. We have not really seen a significant slowing in that trend. So that particular problem is just going to continue, I think, um, to get worse. The other thing I'm really worried about now is that the... Um, fall of Roe is going to compound some of these issues we've seen. I mentioned already that I think the importance of on-site social services and evaluation, you know, getting access to social workers who can, um, you know, really be looking at the needs of these patients. Um, but I also think having appropriate services, uh, support services during labor uh, can be incredibly helpful. Uh, we know that well-trained doulas make a huge difference in maternal mortality. Um, and so I think having um, availability of those services also can be really helpful. Many of the patients who would benefit most from those services are not going to necessarily be able to afford those services. So I think um, having those doula services and other support services available within the system itself um, would also be incredibly helpful. You've been listening to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from RHI Hub. Today we spoke to Dr. Anna Banfield. She's a physician administrative and clinical director at MedStar Health Women's Health at Leonardtown as well as a member of the Foundation Board of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and a past young physician at large on the ACOG board. Look in our show notes for more information about her work and visit ruralhealthinfo.org for all things pertaining to rural health. Join us next time as we conclude our multi-part series on maternal health here on Exploring Rural Health.